Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God that we hear this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe me, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Most of us are probably <clears throat> familiar with the fact that there's two types of people when it comes to going into the water, especially a, a cold lake, right? There are those who run and dive in and get wet as quickly as possible and those who tiptoe little by little. I tend to be the type who dives in, which is how I ended up with a face full of sand about a month ago because the I thought the water was deeper than it was, and it's also how about 10 years ago I ended up with nine stitches on my head because I didn't see a rock that was, that was right under the surface of the water. Yeah, it was a bad cut, but it wasn't that big of a deal. As we grow older, we tend to get more cautious. Well, some of us do, anyway, hopefully. Learn to be a little more cautious to avoid diving into rocks, right? I remember one time when my... <coughs> when us kids and my father were out, were out canoeing and there were some rapids ahead and dad wanted to pull over and walk along the shore and scope out the rapids before trying to canoe through it. And us kids were like, nah, we'll, we'll make it through. And dad's response was, well, that's probably what I would have done when I was 20. But uh, <laughs> he's learned a little bit of, of caution as he gets, old, gets older. Life usually has a tendency to, to teach us caution and that is understandably, from our point of view anyway, how Nicodemus approaches Jesus, isn't it? He's very cautious. He's sticking his toe in. He's not diving head first, but 
just testing the waters to see what it's like. And that attitude can, can be a good thing when canoeing through rapids or diving into a lake, but Jesus shows us in our text that it's going to accomplish nothing when it comes to the kingdom of God. Jesus shows us in our text that either the Spirit pulls you in completely or you're standing on the, out, on the shore on the outside. Unless one is born of water in the Spirit, unless you are pulled in by the Spirit, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. He's saying to Nicodemus, you're not going to understand what you're talking about. You're not going to understand what I'm talking about unless you're pulled in by that Spirit. And later on he says, <clears throat> like the wind. Like the wind. You can see it coming, but you can't understand it because you're not a part of it. Even more than that, Jesus is going to show us that this is not how he approaches us. When it comes to his love for us and his forgiveness, he is timid or cautious in his approach to us, but bold, diving in to save us, right? Nicodemus was a, a high-ranking official. He was a Jewish leader. He was a, a member of the Sanhedrin. And at least from an earthly perspective, he had a lot to lose by publicly aligning himself with Christ. His, his career, his job, his standing, his reputation. Maybe he, he was even thinking about his family. What's going to, how am I going to provide for my family if I declare myself for Christ openly and am therefore kicked out of my position? And so we can understand it's reasonable from a human standpoint how he comes to Jesus by night. And everything that, that Nicodemus does is that slow, cautious, dipping his toe in the water. But Jesus reveals that that approach isn't going to get us anywhere. In opposition to Nicodemus, we have the example in our Old Testament reading of Isaiah. How did Isaiah approach that throne of God? Timid, testing the waters? No, he didn't, did he? But boldly confessed, I am a sinner. It's not a good idea usually to admit you're guilty in front of the judge. It's going to be the end of the trial right there, and you're going to go right to the punishment. And here Isaiah is standing before the throne of God, standing before the glory of God, and yet he confesses openly, he does not try and hide it, I am a sinner. He is bold in his confession of sin, trusting in what gives him that boldness, trusting in the promises of God and being filled with the Spirit. And then later on, too, he's bold in his proclamation, here am I, send me. And we say the same thing in Peter in our New Testament reading, boldly standing and confessing Christ. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6, when he says that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of God for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Scripture reveals to us this, this boldness, this jumping in head first is really the only way to approach God, the only way to stand and confess Christ. But Nicodemus, of course, is not so bold but cautious and timid. A good thing sometimes, but certainly not here. Consider his words to Christ 
in our text, John chapter 3, verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. First of all, Nicodemus begins by saying, we, we know. The question is, we who? There was no one else there. It was Nicodemus and Jesus, only the two of them. What is this we that he's talking about? Is he referring to the Sanhedrin? Well, we know that the rest of the Sanhedrin certainly did not back up Nicodemus with this idea. They didn't think Jesus was a good teacher sent from heaven. They called him a demon on more than one occasion. He certainly wasn't talking about the majority of the other Pharisees who were as well opposed to Jesus. It may be perhaps that there was a small group that Nicodemus knew of and uh, that he, uh, other people that he talked to who kind of thought along the lines that he did, that maybe Jesus was a, a good teacher, but even if that's so, they're not here. And yet Nicodemus still says, we. Because it's comforting, isn't it? Even, even if you're the only one there, it's easier to say we than to say I. To say I is boldness, right? That to say I is to put yourself alone out on that ledge to stand by yourself. To say we is to wrap yourself, to surround yourself with others, even if those others are only a figment of your linguistics. It's comforting to say we. It's timid. And that's exactly what Nicodemus is doing. He's trying to find comfort in that idea of we instead of confessing for himself. And even the content of what Nicodemus says is, is reasonable, but again, it's that same timidity, that same cautious, I'm going to test with my toe the waters. Because what does he say? He says, you are a teacher come from God. A teacher from God. It sounds reasonable. Yeah, he's doing miracles. The reasonable conclusion is that he's a teacher come from God. It sounds reasonable, but it's a worthless confession, isn't it? Even today, many people like to pretend like this is the reasonable attitude towards Christ. Christ was a good teacher. And thereby they pretend like they're standing in, in some neutral ground, which is, I'm sure, what, what Nicodemus thought he was doing here as well. I'm... I'm open to suggestions. I'm, I haven't committed myself yet. I'm, I'm going to stand in this neutral ground. I'll admit he's a good teacher, but I'm not going to go so far as to confess that he is the Son of God. And in opposition to Nicodemus's confession, we heard Peter's confession. What does he say to the Jews? You know the power of God that dwelt in Christ and you saw in the signs that he did. Nicodemus refers to those signs of Christ and says, well, because of the signs we know you're a teacher, but those signs of Christ don't show Jesus to be a teacher. A teacher is <clears throat> somebody who stands in front of a classroom and half the class falls asleep because they're talking too long, right? Or in, in front of a church as well. Now that's a teacher. The signs, the miracles of Jesus displayed the power of heaven. And Jesus told the 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 Pharisees, the Jews, he says, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. The signs of Jesus don't show him to be a teacher. They show him to be the Son of God come from heaven with power and with great glory. Nicodemus thinks he's being wise. Oh, you're a teacher. He's being neutral. 
but that confession is worthless. It's nothing. If Jesus, if you, if you look at Jesus and say, well, at least he's a good teacher, I'll, I'll listen to what he has to say, well, that's as good as a denial completely of who he is and what he has done. Nicodemus's confession here is reasonable, you might say, but it is useless. And how does Jesus respond to Nicodemus? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. Nicodemus at first doesn't understand uh, what Jesus is talking about when he says, unless one is born again. And so Jesus comes back and clarifies it. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so by Jesus' words here, we know that Jesus is talking about baptism. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus with this, with this non-confession, uh, you're a teacher sent from God, and Jesus points Nicodemus to the only way to come to God is through baptism. The only way is for the Spirit to pull you into the kingdom by His power. To pull you under completely. And by that, of course, I don't mean that we, we need to use immersion baptism. That the water, whether you're under the water or not, is not what's important. Whether you're under the power of the Spirit, that's what's important. And notice the difference between what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and Nicodemus' approach here. Nicodemus comes at night. He comes with this timid confession. Uh, he comes in secret. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, go and be baptized. Go out in the day, stand before the entire nation of Israel, confess your sins. Right? We, it, the, there was crowds of people being baptized, but when it came to your time to be baptized, you had to walk out there alone, confessing that you're a sinner, confessing that Jesus is your Savior from sin. Be bold in your confession. Not something Nicodemus could do by himself or that we can do by ourselves either, but something which the Holy Spirit could give us and bring to us. You know nothing, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. You cannot even see the kingdom of God. You do not understand a thing because you have not yet been filled with that Spirit. Stand like Isaiah, confessing your sins before God. We also greatly prefer that we approach of Nicodemus, don't we? It's a lot easier to confess we have sinned than to stand alone and confess I have sinned. And every Sunday, of course, we do confess I am a sinner, but we do it together, and there is some comfort in that. It does make it a little easier. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but I am saying it's not the, the bold statement of Isaiah who comes before God and says, I have sinned. And there's something really powerful, something really wonderful in that complete confession of our sins alone before God's throne or even before one another. Even in our, in our lives with one another, we have a tendency to, to try not to, to stand on, not to put ourselves out there like that and admit, yes, I sinned. I messed up. And yet this is exactly what God's Word says to us, confessing your sins before one another. You know, I don't personally really like uh, even, even Advil or Tylenol 
uh, makes me feel fuzzy-headed, just kind of weird, and so I tend not to use medicine, uh, even, even Advil or, or, or Tylenol, uh, unless I have a really, really bad headache. And even um, antibiotics, I, for a long time, never really bothered with them. If I get a cut, I would just, okay, it'll, it'll heal uh, eventually by itself and let it go at that. Well, one time I did actually do what you're supposed to, clean the wound, put the antibiotic on, and put the Band-Aid on, and I was shocked at how quickly that, that wound healed up. You know, the doctors know what they're talking about, right? It actually, actually helps, it actually works. And the same thing is true here. Very often, especially in our relations with one another, when we know we've done something wrong, we might have that attitude of, well, you know, I'll just let it be. Well, hopefully they'll forget about it. We'll just let it go. And a lot of times those wounds do heal eventually over time. But if we listen to God, if we are willing to put ourselves out there to stand and say, yeah, I sinned. I'm sorry for what I did then that often heals that wound a, a lot faster uh, than if we just kind of let, it it, let it take its time. And to really honestly stand out there alone, because again, we, we do have a tendency to try and say we, even then, don't we? Because we say, well, I sinned, but, you know, I, I'm sorry for what I did, but this is what you did, and try to make sure that somebody else knows that they're also a sinner, so we're not kind of out there by ourselves. Well, it's, it's great to confess our sins in a group. Nothing wrong with that, as I said. But there is something powerful in that confession, I am the sinner. And you see that in the Old Testament reading. How does God respond to Isaiah? He takes that burning coal and says, yeah, and now you are cleansed of your sin. The same thing when we confess our faith. We stand and confess our faith together in church, usually the Apostles' Creed, but today we, of course, use the Athanasian Creed. And that's good. Again, that's a wonderful thing to do. But how often are we willing to confess that same faith to stand and say, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, when we're not doing it together in a church, but when it's us alone out there in the world, like Peter in our text. Are we going to come to God one toe at a time, testing the waters? Are we going to come to God holding back, seeing how it goes? Or are we going to come to God fully and completely? Again, that's something that's a gift that the Spirit gives us. Are we going to confess, I am a sinner? Are we going to confess, I believe in Jesus? Or are we going to try and hide in the crowd? Jesus, of course, and this is the really important thing about the text, Jesus, of course, was not timid or cautious or reasonable when he came to us. Jesus continues talking to Nicodemus in John 3, 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So is that what God did for us? Was he reasonable? Did he do what was reasonable when it came to our salvation? No, of course not. He went far beyond what was reasonable. He didn't say, well, you know, I'll help you guys out this far, but beyond that, that's not really reasonable for you guys to expect from me. But he gave his own son, that's far beyond reasonable, into death in order to save us. Does God approach us cautiously? 
Does he say, well, you know, I've forgiven you before, and you've just uh, gone back to sinning, so I'll, I'm going to wait and see if you really mean it this time. Is that how God approaches us when he forgives our sins? Of course not. He doesn't say, I'll wait and see, but he says every time, again and again, you are forgiven. He approaches us in the power of that spirit. What does he do for, for Isaiah? He takes a burning coal. There's nothing cautious or timid about that, right? He's sticking a burning coal on your lips. That's probably the ultimate example of diving in head first without thinking or without, without looking. God takes that burning coal and sticks it on the lips of Isaiah. You are cleansed and he sent his son even into death. He's not cautious in his love and in his forgiveness for us, but ferocious and fervent, isn't he? Did he give himself partially to us? Did he say, well, I'll give you this much of myself and, and no more? No, he gave himself wholly to us. Did he say to us, well, I'll try my best? No, he didn't do that either. He went beyond what might be expected. What, what might say, well, I tried my best. How much did God love us? Our text tells us he loved us this much, so much. God so loved the world. The, the, the so there means to what extent, to what measure did he love us? This is how much he loved us, that he gave his only son his very own son, into death for us. God's love for us, his approach to us, is far, far beyond cautious or reasonable. He dives in head first to save us from our sins. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would set our hearts on fire with your spirit so that we also may not hold back, but may burn with fervent love for you and in boldness confess both our sins and Christ, who is our Savior, all the days of our life. Amen.